welcome to Life Lessons in 35mm, a podcast that delves into the life lessons from the silver screen. School might have taught us about history, sciences and maths, but John McLean taught us about how to be cool. Neo taught us the value of free will and the responsibility in making our own choices. Back to the Future taught us our future hasn't been written yet. Our future is whatever we make it. And Pretty Woman taught us that you should never judge a book by its cover. We'll talk about all sorts. Love, family, heroes. Storytelling, friendship, dogs. <laughs> Wait, dogs? Yeah, yeah. There's an episode about dogs. I figured that people sometimes might want something a little more light-hearted. And besides, who doesn't love dogs, right? No, that's fair. So, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for joining us. So, welcome once again to our latest episode of Life Lessons in 35mm, as always with Andrew. Andrew, hello, how are you doing? Very, very good. How are you, Nick? How are you enjoying? I, I think I asked that last week. How are you enjoying the summer? You did ask that last week. Like I said, you know, classic British, asking, talking about the weather. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, summer's kind of come and gone. Had a little heat wave for a few days. Done. Done. <laughs> summer, check. Exactly. On the plus side, though, perfect weather for walking. Went out for a lovely walk yesterday. Oh, fantastic. I've been snowboarding all week. Like, literally all week. It's mental. It's mental. I was, like, going up on a chairlift and thinking... Is my life really like this? It is, Nick. It is. <laughs> I've never been snowboarding, so I, I have no idea whether I like it or not. So I can't say whether I'm especially envious or not. Yeah, you'd love it. Like, the thing is, like, when you start, you're awful. And then you get a little less awful and you start <laughs> to enjoy it. Good times. Yeah, well, to be fair, though, yesterday I was um, out up on the cliffs of the south coast looking out at the sea. So, you know... I'm not too jealous of you being a snowboarder right now because I was loving it. I was loving life. Fair. Yeah, fair. <laughs> That's all I've got. But basically, both of us, great lives. <laughs> yeah, living the dream. Living the dream. Living the, living the dreams are on opposite sides of the world. Anyway, um, we digress. So we could, we've got to talk about films, haven't we? I think that's our job. So today we're going to be talking about the 1998 film American History X. We've gone from American Beauty to American History X. What What next week? Something else, America. American Sniper. No, not that. Not not be found. There's lot. There's lots of films with American in the title, isn't there? There is. Yeah, I I can't think of any more right now. American Hustle. Yeah. Um, American Gangster. American. I was going to say History X. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Ah. Uh-huh. Basically, Americans love Americans, don't they? They really do. They do. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> they really do. America. So, um, a big howdy to our American fans. Yeah, so so we're going to be talking about um, American History X, and what did you think of the film? First of all, let's go straight into it. What do you think of the film? I really like it. So it's one that I've again. I think when I said this, uh, the end of the last episode, this is probably a film I could have just gone into and spoken about straight away because I've seen it quite a few times. This is one that I remember watching it for the first time, not not very soon after it came out, but it wasn't like you know I watched it within probably the first few years that it was released I really enjoyed it although obviously I watched it I was quite young when I first watched it I say quite young um wasn't that young I was I was probably 20 or something like that just show my age now but yeah so and and I've kind of always liked it ever since then so again it's one that I've kind of seen quite a lot over the years I've probably it's probably the sort of film I've watched at least once every maybe three or four years or something so I've seen it quite a few times um but I've I've always liked it I think it's quite 
it's like quite a powerful film, quite like an affecting film. I've always liked Edward Norton as well, and he's he's awesome in this. I think um, so. Yeah, I've I've always I've always been a big fan of it, and I think it was the way that we're going to talk about it is probably something I've like or, or that's always really kind of jumped off the screen at me, and I've, or things I've always thought about whilst I've been watching it, which probably says that says quite a lot about the film. But yeah, what about you? What what are your thoughts on it? Do you like it? Is it are you a big fan? Are you not quite as enamored with it? Yeah, so I think like you, I I watched it maybe around my 20s and um yeah i loved it well again similar to you i watched it quite a few times but it's probably i've probably had a bit of a hiatus haven't watched it in a while and it was interesting i i watched it first time maybe like two weeks ago just to re-familiarize myself with it and um i must admit it didn't hit me in the same way it did you know when, when i was 20 so like 15 years ago but I've just watched it now and I don't know if it's just like I was in the mood for it or reading about it kind of inspired something else in me but I, I must much much um enjoyed it on a second viewing as you say like Ed, Ed Norton's performance in it is is a standout and um interestingly he, he wasn't meant to play the role like um he wasn't the director's first choice the director Tony Kay he he literally got the film because they couldn't find anyone better. Really? Yeah. Um, they, they were actually looking to get Joaquin Phoenix in the lead role, and and no doubt he would have been he would have done a great job as well because Joaquin is just like um, an amazing actor. But oh yeah, he's he's awesome, isn't he? One thing that just plays through my mind every time watching this is you, you know um, this Cameron, um, the, the 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 character in it. Yeah, he's the um, leader of the Nazi organization. He's got like a scar on his top lip, similar to Joaquin Phoenix. So that would be very strange. <laughs> I love that's where your mind goes. You'd be like, "Well, they can't because they're they're too they've got they've got too too many similarities already." <laughs> I don't think that guy would have got the role, honestly. Um, yeah, you can't have two um, lip scars people um, talking to each other in a film. You, you rarely get that. <laughs> I would say. Jeez. Oh, oh I, I can't say. Yeah, I can't say I've ever noticed. I've never ever noticed that. But yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, because you mentioned Ed Norton, and I, I watched the interview with him a little while ago, actually, just sort of randomly, um, not in preparation for or anything. But I remember he was saying that um, the period of his career, obviously, this was quite early in his career. I think by this point, he'd only done a few films, and at this point in his career there was lots of roles that basically him and Matt Damon were up for and they were kind of all going for the same thing. So they had this kind of little rivalry going on. And he was saying that at the time this was made, Matt Damon made, um, I think it's Oliver Stone film, The Rainmaker. Oh yeah. And Ed Norton, Ed Norton went up for that role and he really wanted it. He was, you know, he, he actually, I think he said he spoke to Oliver Stone. I think it's Oliver Stone. I'll have to check that in a second. But he was saying he really wanted, he was talking to the director and he was end, ended up telling him that he'd been offered this uh, film, American History X. And apparently Oliver Stone said to him, you need to go do that film. That's the film you should go and do because that will really change your career. And so that's how he ended up doing the film. And obviously, yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine anyone else doing American History X now. Maybe just Oliver Stone just didn't want him. It feels it feels like um, when you're really interested in a girl and then um, they're like, ah, oh, I'm not so sure. Tracy, she she's nice, though. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, interesting that you say about that, because Ed Norton turned down the role and for Saving Private Ryan, which is obviously Matt Damon's role. 
and um yeah it's it's interesting how these these um two actors careers kind of over overlap in so many times yeah i just must i just need to interject i i did i made a mistake it's francis ford coppola not oliver stone oh bloody so got that one. i know got that one wrong didn't i never mind we don't have to re-record that do we nah ah keep it in nah i'm human i make i make mistakes i forget things yeah <laughs> plus we'll be re-recording so many of my bits so uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh, sorry anyway sorry to interrupt as you were yeah, and actually Ed Norton took a bit of a pay cut to do this film. And Norton was allegedly cast without Kay, the director's approval. Um, really? So, yeah, like honestly, this this guy Kay, he was not happy about the whole thing. He really wasn't. I remember I was talking about that and you said that he's he, he basically tried to distance himself from this film after it came out, right? He, yeah, he did, yeah. Basically what had happened was Kay put the, the film together at the end he had a, a small screening, which is, is not normally what happens, right? They'll normally show the, the studio kind of what they've created, which is normally called the, what the director's cut, I guess. And New Line Cinema, they hated it. And they were like, yeah, no, this ain't going to work. So um, to which, like, <laughs> that, then Kay got, got into a bit of a, um, a kind of tizzy fit with, with, with it all and started like, talking about um new line in the in the press and then ed norton and um, the legend that he is he got into the editing booth along with the editor and um cut together a new film it's interesting because it, it was meant to have a different ending i don't know if you want to talk about that now or later let's talk about it now because i think as we said we when we were building up to this doing this i think this is one of the an episode where we will probably spend a bit less time talking about the film throughout what throughout the discussion because it's going to be more about kind of the lesson and how it relates to real life stuff so we might as well like bring it up now as you're talking about the director and all that kind of stuff go on let's talk about let's might as well talk about the alternative ending that was there let's let's start at the end why not yeah in in the current version the ending is danny his brother um derek's brother gets shot oh obviously derek's um devastated but we get this ending which feels quite cathartic at the end because it's Danny, Danny's essay, his American History X essay, kind of um, finishing off with a, a nice, nice quote about how hate is baggage, and um, there's there's a nice quote from Ab- Abraham Lincoln at the end. However, Kay's original cut, how he wanted the movie to go, was the ending shot was Derek's character shaving his head in the mirror and and putting a magazine into a gun and from his point of view it was it was all about how hate was cyclical so if you if you live in a world of hate then it will just continue going on and on and on and on and there is truth in that and it's not a bad ending but ed saw saw the ending as he wanted something a little less um, fatalistic and to have a bit of bit more hope at the end of the film. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think one of the things which, um, one of the things I think about the film is that obviously Derek goes through this journey, doesn't he, of um, almost, he starts in a certain place, he goes he goes through all of these things that happen to him, you know, going to prison, being abused, that kind of thing. And, and he, he almost does like a complete 180 flip uh, on his kind of, almost his belief system and this kind of, like I said, this cycle of hate that he's in. And one of the things I did think about the film watching it this time is that obviously 
Derek's change of heart or change of mind is a, such a significant thing in the film. And I think it happens fairly quickly because there's quite a lot of build-up before it and there's quite a lot of stuff after it, but it actually happens quite quickly. And I, did, and I sort of did think that maybe this time round, this is the sort of thing which would have been really good to, I say good, good's not the right word, but really, really interesting to explore Derek's almost time in prison a little bit more to understand a bit more about what he went through, which made him go through that 180 flip, because it does seem to happen fairly quickly. Obviously, the trauma of what happens to him in prison, you know, being assaulted and stuff, that would undoubtedly have a have a significant impact on him. But to completely flip on his kind of belief system that he held so vehemently at the start of the film, it's quite kind of happens. So it, it, I think that ending would have been quite interesting, because I think also the fact that, you know, at the end, Danny does get murdered it does almost raise a question as to what's Derek going to do now. And I think actually having, and I think leaving that question mark is quite a nice ending. So I think, yeah, having having the alternative ending of seeing Derek shaving his head again, making it very obvious that he's going to go back to his previous life, that almost answers that question for you. And I quite like the fact that the theatrical release that we got kind of leaves that a bit open-ended and leaves you kind of to make it your own mind because literally that's where the film ends, isn't it? Then you see a shot of the beach and then it's kind of like credits roll. So you never, so you never see what happens to Derek or what he does immediately in the aftermath of Danny's murder. So I think it's an interesting point that the director was going to bring that back again. Because I think one of the things which, like I said, is interesting is a is this kind of this complete reversal of of Derek's kind of belief system and how and how kind of how that comes about. So yeah, it, it would have been um I don't know if a director's cut exists anywhere, probably not, but it would be really interesting to see what he what he would have put out. Yeah, 100%. Um, just a little note on that and something I was going to um, mention just because we were talking about what I thought of the film. When when I watched it, I did note that as well. The fact that the, the flip from Derek, but also Danny, because Derek changes his mind over three years in jail, but Danny changes his mind in, in about 24 hours. Well, less than 24 hours. <laughs> so... um yeah, like that—that that is a, a, one of the problematic things of the film. But if you, you're able to suspend belief a little bit with regards to these points and see it more of a, um, the general learning, I, I think you, you you're going to get a good film. If if you don't believe that and you you want everything to be very real, you, you're going to probably have some problems. Yeah, I think, see, with Danny, I kind of almost read it as that his cha- his change isn't quite as significant. I don't think he's fully kind of converted to Derek's way of thinking when, the, when that 24 hours. But he, yeah, you're right. He definitely kind of starts to starts to falter on his beliefs, doesn't he? But yeah, that that's just one thing which um, I think is something I just noticed more this time, I suppose. More thinking about thinking about this idea of, um, you know, living in an echo chamber and how it can affect your so kind of like your belief system and stuff and we'll come on to that in a second but I think one thing I, I wanted to talk about in terms of while we're talking about the film itself is one thing I really like um because I think it didn't Tony Kay was the was the director of photography as well as the director wasn't he so he shot the film yeah and obviously we've got the um you know the black and white for the kind of the flashback sort of thing but what I also really like about his um lot of scenes of the film are the dialogue scenes he shoots people in almost like extreme close-up a lot of the time yeah he does yeah and it makes it feel very intense and almost quite invasive and i think it it adds a level it it really brings you into the film a lot more and i think there's particularly i think um the scenes with Derek. because i think ed norton's performance is absolutely awesome in this film i think he's really good but there's particularly there's a couple of scenes you know when 
there's the the scene with with Murray at the argument at the dinner table where I think the film the the, the shot starts a little bit wider and then it kind of as, as as his kind of rage builds it kind of gets a little closer and there's the conversation with Sweeney when he visits him in prison where he you know it's a real close up of his face and I think that works so well to really bring you into the into those moments of the film and it really kind of highlights just the emotion and the the, the stuff that the characters are going through and I also think it highlights the excellence of all the performances because the actors have nowhere to hide i think so i think i like the way he shoots the film and i think you said you wanted to um talk about kind of the the violence in the film because is it right that he came as a sort of music video director before that before we even go on to that um we're not finished with um tony k <laughs> okay because obviously there were the issues um and ed norton put together a cut of the film and they were going to release it at the toronto film festival and Tony Kay actually boarded a, um, a flight, went to Toronto and got the festival organizers to basically pull the, the film from the lineup. When it came to the actual the- theatrical release of the film, Tony Kay um, filed a $200 million lawsuit to have his name legally changed to Humpty Dumpty in the credits <laughs> <laughs> as his way to protest the unapproved cut. And apparently there's there's a documentary that Kay created um, after the fact called Humpty Dumpty, um, which was never released, which I really want to see. Um, <laughs> really? Really was, yeah. Oh, that would be fascinating, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, apparently um, nine years after the film's um, release, um, Kay watched it for the first time in 2007. Do we know what you thought of it then? It says nothing here, Nick. Um, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing the fact that he created this um, documentary called Humpty Dumpty, he didn't like it. <laughs> Wasn't a fan. Wasn't a fan. Yeah, he, he really doesn't like um, Ed Norton. So um, there's that. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, Nick likes him, so that's the most important thing. I've never met Edward Norton. I just, I think he's a good actor. I, I, I like to, I like a lot of his films. I think he's, he seems like an interesting guy. Who knows what he's like in real life. I think you two would get on really well, like too well, if anything. And that is purposely why I've kept you guys apart. Okay. So you, you know Ed Norton then? Is he, is he a good guy? Is he like, you know, does he come across like, a, like he actually is in real life? I don't know him, but like I've just kept you guys apart. Is it okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, each their own, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, we're we're talking about the um the violence. Yeah, I mean one of the things that stands out in the film is is the violence that's used in in quite a few. There's a few scenes in there where which really like stand out. So there's obviously the curb stomp. That's brutal. That is brutal, isn't it? It is brutal. But if you talk to anyone about American History X and that they say teeth on the curb, and you know exactly what what they mean. Yeah, it kind of that's that one. Of, that's the scene where when you, when I watch it, it kind of it makes makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. But it just makes me feel really oh, just it's horrible. Yeah, like that the porcelain kind of sound on on concrete. It's um yeah, it's it's horrible. Then there's the the scene at the dinner where he kind of force feeds his his sister the the beef and stuff and um like domestic and violence there. There's obviously the rape scene in um, the prison, so so there's there's a few scenes in there that that are 
quite quite aggressive. And you know, Ed, Ed Norton was um, asked a lot about this film uh, around the time of its release, and people were calling it controversial at the time. And he corrected them, and he said, "It's not controversial; it's um, provocative. We wanted it to make it provocative." And I think for it to work, it needs to be provocative, right? It needs to provoke something within you. Obviously, certain films exist for certain, um, for different reasons. You've got some films that you'll put on as a bit of a escapism, but this film is is clearly there. It's making a point. Um, it wants your attention, and f- for that reason, like you've got to applaud Tony K because these these um, scenes particularly that the that that scene the um, with the curb stomp it's it's incredibly done it is it's, it's harrowing isn't it after the first time i watched it i remember thinking that was it really stayed with me because like you said that noise of his teeth scraping on the curb and the just the kind of the the pacing of that scene oh it's really harrowing it really stayed with me that's it the music the the music in it is kind of like it's almost like operatic um in in theme it's not operatic but like you know classical the the way it's shot um he uses obviously black and white um for the the scenes where he he looks into the past um but he also uses you can tell the the lighting that that he uses is is artificial which really like makes the characters pop out from the black and white surroundings and it's just that that see that that one image of derek putting his hands up um, because the police are, are like um, telling him to you know put his gun down and he puts his hands up he gets on his knees puts his hands up and he gives like a smile towards the camera it's um it's really freaky it, it, because as much as anything and this is probably we're, we're going to be talk, talking about this as well as the fact that Derek as a character he's very charismatic He's very likable, and in order for the film to work, he has to be likable. Yeah. And when he when he gives that um, sneaky little um, smirk, you feel p- like you're part of it. You feel like in some way you're part of that whole um, event that happened. Yeah. Well, the way I see that scene is I because obviously he's looking almost at the audience but I feel like he's looking at Danny and I feel like we're Danny in that in that situation I think he's yeah because obviously you know Danny's come outside with him and he's shouting at him to stop it and everything and yeah he just gives that smile and it's it's so you just think he just looks like this crazed maniac doesn't he he's almost like possessed at the time with this rage that he's got inside him but yeah that's that scene and obviously the you know it's the extreme slow motion as well it is it's it's brutal and it's harrowing and it's a really well done scene it has such impact yeah it's, it's yeah it's interesting how we you say like we are we are danny because you know when it happens danny runs from the house trying to stop derek and i think we all try to do that every time it happens we all try to stop derek doing that that's it derek, no! So I suppose we should now we should we should talk about 
the kind of the subject matter because I, I don't know how how long we're into this like 15 minute 20 minutes or something like that maybe even longer so we'll talk so obviously we introduced it at the end of the last episode but this is going to be how american history x shows us the consequences of living in an echo chamber so and i think this is this is what this is an episode where we've said this on i think the american beauty episode we said this is not a political podcast and i think like that but i think we are going to have to touch on some political things based around this discussion um, just to give it a bit of context. So I think it start, we need to start off by kind of establishing what an echo chamber is. And to give a bit of kind of context to this is so like as people, we often find ourselves split into sort of like polarized groups, you know, with 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 differing views or beliefs or something. Um, there's loads of things you can reference today, you know, things from football fan culture, political viewpoints, race, gender, sexuality, that kind of stuff. And it's all kind of our beliefs are all based on a range of different like facts and in inverted commas and there's a big thing i think at the moment where a lot of people can blame the social media bubble that you know in the idea that people will inevitably sort themselves into groups of like-minded people um, and only therefore hear like-minded views and no doubt that has kind of a big part to play given how big social media is now but that's not really at the heart of of the issue with the issue that American History X points out, I think, you know, the dangers of living inside an echo chamber. So like I said, we need to understand what an, what an echo chamber is. And I read a really interesting article recently um, written by a professor of philosophy. And it really, and it explains a really important distinction. And he talks about two things. So you've got an epistemic bubble and an echo chamber. And an epistemic bubble is what happens when insiders aren't exposed to people from the opposite side. Whereas an echo chamber is what happens when insiders come to distrust everyone on the outside so it's not that you're not actively hearing differing viewpoints from your own it's that you just that you just automatically distrust any opinion that's not yours that doesn't that doesn't align with yours so an epistemic bubble might be formed of sort of social media feeds um, where we only get news views and opinions from people who tend to be on the same side of any spectrum that we are and we're just simply not exposed to opposing viewpoints and opinions whereas an echo chamber leads its members to distrust everybody outside that chamber leading to kind of those people on the inside the trust in those people kind of growing unchecked and i think that there's a really obviously hugely global example recently with like fake news and obviously that you know the whole donald trump thing and that's really important when it comes to american stress because the issue isn't what people hear but it's who they believe and I think that is we'll come on to talk about kind of scenes in the film a bit later on. But yeah, so I think it's important to just kind of set that up front. And we have this idea that you have this epistemic bubble where people just don't aren't exposed to, to kind of views from outside of your own. But the echo chamber is the important bit because that's about the, this idea that you just don't trust anyone that doesn't agree with you. And I think that is something that is brought up throughout the film, American History X. And obviously we're talking about consequences of living in an echo chamber. And obviously this film demonstrates some pretty dire consequences for the characters involved you know Derek ends up in prison gets assaulted Danny ends up being murdered so not every echo chamber is going to result in those kind of things but there are still kind of landmines you have to be aware of and this idea that if you don't if you don't open yourself up to differing viewpoints differing facts opinions that kind of stuff you can go down this path where you just close yourself off to to suppose to truth and to different differing viewpoints and i think um yeah so i think it obviously it's quite a like i said a very brutal extreme version of that but i think it it does demonstrate some of the things that can happen if you don't allow yourself to be educated by by people from from differing viewpoints from your own it might be good just to kind of go over the plot of the movie um just for anyone who might not have seen it 
and wants wants to be part of the dialogue that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So, just a just a bit of background. So, the the film starts with Danny, who is um, a young seventeen year old kid, and he is being reprimanded by his school pr- principal, Sweeney, and he's he's basically written this paper that he was set an assignment by his teacher where he could write about a civil war hero. So he chooses um, Hitler, um, Adolf Hitler, and um, how Mein Kampf is like, um, this is an amazing thing. The thing is with Danny, he's a, he's a grade-age student. He's a very intelligent boy. But things have happened in his past that have altered his view on the world. One of the things that have happened was his brother Derek was taken away to prison. Now Sweeney knows the history and he knows how important Derek is to Danny. And he even says, you know, like everything that is going on in your your life is because of your your brother. Instead of exposing Danny to this um, teacher's class again, he says, okay, so we're going to be doing our own class. We're going to meet here every, every week and you're going to write a paper for me. The first week, you're going to be um, writing a paper all about your brother and how his incarceration has infected your family. And I want the paper to be done the next day. After um, some protestations from Danny, he goes, okay, that's fine. So Danny goes back home and Derek has returned from prison. The film kind of plays out the events of, of that day and it filters from the present day to the, the past. And presumably these are Danny's... Do you think it's Danny's memories of um, what happened? Yeah, I I think it is. Obviously, you know, Danny is not in every single scene that's flashback because obviously we see what happens to Derek in prison. But I think a lot of the scenes where it's where we're in the family situations and I, I think I think we do see things from Danny's point of view and how and like I said, in for example, the, the scene with the scene, the dinner, the dinner table scene with when they're arguing with Murray's character, I think we start sort of the camera's a bit wider. We start seeing it kind of almost an outsider looking in. And then as we gradually get drawn into the argument, we get drawn into Derek a little bit more. And I think that's what what happens to Danny in those scenes is we're almost, it's his memories of how he remembers his brother. So basically we're going from the the past to the present and it plays out that um, whilst in prison, Derek was exposed to, well, I guess we should say why Derek's in prison. Derek's in prison because of an event um, that happened at the beginning of the film where three um, black men tried to steal his uh, father's truck. Um, his, his father, um, Danny and Derek's father, was killed in a black neighborhood, um, which um, was one of the catalysts for, for their extreme views. In retribution for this or, um, you know, revenge for, for this almost... Derek gets one of the men, puts his teeth on the curb and then stomps on his head and then is put into jail for three years for voluntary manslaughter. Whilst in jail, Derek basically has a change of heart as to his position on um, race and that's inspired by one of the characters in it who he befriends in, in prison who also helps to keep him safe when his own kind if you will the white supremacists in the in the prison turn on him so the film is basically him coming out of jail reconnecting with danny and convincing him that this isn't the way to go 
the film culminates in Danny going to school with his paper and he he is he gets shot as revenge for um some other events that happen in in the film by a black gang so it's kind of like Danny is the the one who reaped the consequences of Derek's actions um all those years ago yeah and i think um i think you mentioned there i think what we'll, maybe what we'll do is um because i think this is this is also something that you can relate to real life quite easily is the fact that i think obviously where this whole journey with Derek starts is the fact that he has this event like you mentioned his father was killed because he's like his father was a fireman so and obviously Derek gets interviewed on the news so we'll just play a little clip of that there so you can see the trauma that Derek has experienced as a young man and how it's kind of set him on this on this path you're saying that you think maybe your father's murder was race-related? Yeah, it's race-related. Every problem in this country is race-related, not just crime. It's like immigration, AIDS, welfare. Those are problems of the black community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community. They're not white problems. Derek, aren't those really issues that deal more with poverty? No, you know, no. They're not products of their environments either. That's crap. Minorities don't give two shits about this country. They come here to exploit it, not to embrace it. What does this have I to mean, do with... I mean, millions of white European Americans came here and flourished, you know, within a generation. So what the fuck is the matter with these people? They have to go around shooting at firemen. What does this have to do with the murder of your father? Because my father was murdered doing his job, putting out a fire in a... Yeah, so obviously in the clip we've just heard, we have been sort of party to an event in Derek's life when he was younger. Uh, so it's almost like a, it seems as though it's a trigger for where his journey started. So obviously he talks about the fact his father was murdered. His father was a, a fireman in a black neighborhood uh, and he was murdered, presumably by a black by a black guy. And that's um, Derek kind of almost seems as it's the event that starts Derek on this journey. And obviously we're talking here about echo chambers. And in this particular example in the film, we're talking about like neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and it's very much about race. But obviously we're not going to, reference that in terms of the, the overall lesson because the lesson here is not about a specific race related echo chamber this is about echo chambers in general and that can be through related to anything so i think there are probably it's a fairly relatable thing to have something happen to you something traumatic or some event in your life significant event that then leads you on a path to to believe certain things uh, and i think you know that's this is just a little kind of snippet of of Derek's past as to why he is the way he is but yeah so I think I think it's um it just it just kind of like lays down the groundwork to say this is there's something happened to this young man that set him up on this path yeah and I, th- I think um we should preference that this film is about race um we're, we're not saying that it's not but we're specifically going to be talking about this lesson about echo chambers because I think that's really really important and it's it's like it's very easy just to kind of say, you know, don't be a racist. But this hatred, this um, cyclical kind of rhetoric, it's it always starts some, somewhere and it's always reinforced somewhere. So unless we actually start speaking about this kind of thing, we're never really going to get to helping anything or there's never going to be a real change, right? Yeah, I think that's a really important point because yeah, clearly this this film is about is about racism specifically and about white supremacy and that kind of thing. But yeah, in in this context that we're talking about it, this is just about this is just an example of an echo chamber. Um and I think for the most part the majority if you know probably everyone that listens to this is not going to be any part of it is not going to have experienced an echo chamber as extreme as that. But I think you can find them in kind of 
various different forms through every day. And a few examples that on different levels of severity or different levels of the spectrum that come to mind. Obviously, politic, political related issues is a very significant thing. You know, we have we have the left, we have the right, and there are some fierce opposition to one another in that sense. And I think, let's say politically, there was a really good example just a few years ago in the UK with Brexit. So I'm sure most people know what Brexit is and have heard the term before, so I'm not going to go into what it is. But obviously, we had this referendum about whether the UK should leave the EU. And that caused such, I suppose, vile opposition within people just based on what they believed. And I think that's the the reason I bring that up as an example is because, as I said earlier, this idea of an epistemic bubble is that you are you don't you just don't hear opposing views, but an echo chamber is where you where you come to distrust other views that aren't your own. And I think Brexit was a really good example of that because just so you know, just to blow my cards on the table, I voted to remain as part of the EU. Obviously there was there was you, you had two sides of the argument, leave and remain. And there was some very clear opposition from either side to the other side of the argument. And I think the reason that I think that that relates well to an echo chamber is because there was all of these facts, uh, or I say in inverted commas, facts and things that were, were going around as to why you should vote one way or the other. And I think in many cases, you could find lots of examples. There was people interviewed on the news, there was Vox Pops interviews and that kind of stuff that demonstrated people who absolutely vehemently believed the side that they were going to vote for and just immediately dismissed other opinions. So I think that was a really good example of where an echo chamber can be quite damaging because I think pretty much from almost in in the immediate aftermath of the decision. So the the results of the referendum came out and the result was that there was a, a majority to leave. I think it was 56 percent or something like that and actually what happened fairly quickly after that is there was various people again interviewed on the news and this kind of stuff where people who voted to leave admitted they didn't know why and they regretted their decision and it was a kind of this interesting idea that you'd had all of these all of these viewpoints and these again in in quote marks facts thrown at them to force their vote in the way that they people trying to influence what they what they decided but actually they were never fact-checked. They never knew whether they were true. They just heard something that they that they could perhaps relate to, whether it be about immigration, whether it be about the money into the NHS, and they just believed it. And I think that is um, that again links to this idea of like fake news earlier. So you know, again, this idea of distrusting other opinions or other facts and other other information that doesn't back up your own viewpoint. So I just think, yeah, there's there's a, there's so many examples of of kind of echo chambers in real life that do relate to. That, that do relate to everyday lives that we, that we probably have all experienced at some point. Yeah, it was interesting that whole Brexit thing because obviously I'm British, but I'm outside of, uh, I don't live in the UK anymore. And it, it's interesting that I would get messages and, um, and from, from my friends and, and they would say, hey, what's your views on it? Where, where do you sit? It was strange because I was outside of the bubbles. I didn't. I didn't have an opportunity to speak to any anyone. So people were just asking me first for what do you think, and well, first of all, I had had a gut feeling as to what they should do. But then I did a bit of research, and I did a bit of research on both both sides. And there was the problem with something like that. There was like um, a fifty fifty thing of like there was a lot of information saying, ah, oh, you know, if we leave, you know, this will happen, and then um, if we stay, this will happen. And I could see that that ha- um, it was it was really interesting to watch because I heard stories about like people having dinner parties and like you know having full 
long like arguments with with people people who they they would normally just get on perfectly fine with but because there was this um one thing and it's almost like it, it, it feels quite tribal in a way you you get put into one of two camps and it's like you've got to fight to the death to um to protect your views and almost like your ego your ego gets like fused with the 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 view you know how can i how can i concede a point how can i back down to this person if if i back down to this person am i am i me yeah and i th- and i think you're right i think tribal is yeah it it is all about being tr- tribal isn't it you know you get put into one of any number of tribes and that that's the that's the tribe that you're part of and that, and you almost defend that tribe to your to the to the end sort of thing because that's that's part of your belief system yeah because i because i same as you you know i obviously i lived in the uk at the time i still do so i you know it was quite an important issue that was that was brought up so again i tried to do research on both sides of the argument um, you could find all sorts of various information, facts, true or false. No one else, I suppose, knew completely whether they were reading something that was accurate or inaccurate. Uh, but I think ultimately I, I ended up going with a bit of a gut feel and the fact that I, you know, and, and that led me, I kind of took in all the information I could find, made a decision based on how I processed the information. But I think the important thing was I took in information from both sides. I tried to give either side of the argument it's due credit, um, you know, for the pros and cons and that kind of stuff and made a decision. But I think it was because there were so many sensationalized sound bites and headlines flying around, it would have been very easy to just focus on those things. And I can see, and I can completely understand why people on one side or the other believed so strongly what they did, because there was so much, so much information. And again, in quote marks that was kind of put out there that was, that sounded quite, sensationalized and quite impactful and stuff and it, and you just kind of and i think we're in a and to bring it back to the social media point earlier you know if people if if people get a lot of their news their information their kind of current events from their own social media feeds they probably are only exposed to one side of the one side of the argument that they that they tend to that they tend to lean towards but it's this idea that you know going that one step further and no longer trusting outside information so yeah it's um it was a really, it's a really interesting example that comes that come to mind when thinking about this, and I think what you said um, about ego is really important as well. To bring it back to the film a little bit, because obviously, in the um, in the film when Derek is in prison, we go through this process as I mentioned earlier, where he kind of does a one eighty flip and kind of changes his attitude towards towards things in the aftermath of the assault that happened so obviously he he kind of distances himself from these other neo-nazis in prison because he kind of sees them i suppose in his eyes not staying true to their own principles but ultimately they're also doing what they need to do to survive and because he distances himself from himself from them they then go and attack him almost as revenge so they they beat him and they rape him in the shower and then that's almost like the moment where his ego or his his armor is shattered and in the very next scene, we see that the the visit from from Dr. Sweeney, the teacher he had from when he was at high school, and he comes and talks to him and Derek just breaks down and he just says, help me. And I think it you know, almost takes that moment uh, where his ego and his armor and his this hard outer shell has been broken for him to kind of be ready to take on different information and take on a different viewpoint. And I think that is such a, 
affecting scene in the film and it's really well really well played out the performances in that scene are absolutely on the money and i think that is probably something that you can relate to real life as well not an not an event extreme as extreme as that but something that happens to almost break that ego break that armor to make you think about something from a from a different viewpoint so i think there's a really important moment there in the film and i think it's we it's important that we think about those moments in in life to kind of allow ourselves to open ourselves up to out to different information that perhaps we wouldn't normally have come across or we wouldn't have listened to or given the same credit to yeah and i think um the problem is is we all have our own biases right and our our biases are, are kind of created by our own personal experiences in in a way like this is why you should really listen to people's story and, and and get a sense of like why they think the way they they would think it's very easy to separate um yourself from someone it's really difficult to do that when you actually listen to them and you try to um come from an empathetic kind of standpoint it's confronting and and, and this is what we're, we're speaking right about right it's um you know, these echo chambers, you get yourself into a position where you don't want to be speaking to these people. If if they present themselves as being in some way human, that that's a real issue for you. It's, it's better to see them as the monster. And uh, I think we saw that a lot of that in the election over in the States, you know, the um, divide between the Democrats and Republicans. And I remember like someone saying to me, um, that they were like, you know, I, I thought all um, Democrats were like awful people, but then I, I saw like one and they were like feeding their dog like water because it was like a hot day. Um, they were like, looking after this dog and it just made me realize that like, shit, like they've got dogs too. They look after dogs too. And like, they've got families too. And it comes, comes. Uh, I, I do think it comes down to your your biases, your personal experiences in life, how you've grown up and the, maybe the fears that you have and the dialogues that you've had um, with your own family members. And and, and to, to that end, actually, um, we think that Derek's bias or um, or hatred comes from that, that single event of his father getting killed in the black neighborhood, but it, it's not right. There's that scene where, where you actually realize, uh, and it might be an idea to play that scene. We're doing this whole black literature unit. What is it, Black History Month? No, it's just like this guy Sweeney, you know? You, it's part of the course now. Yeah. What? Nothing, it's just, you know, it's everywhere I look now. What? This affirmative blackchin. Honey, a few new books doesn't qualify as affirmative black action. Hey, read the book, Ace the Guy's Test. Just don't swallow everything he feeds you whole. You know, just because you see it on the evening news. No, but like what? All this stuff about making everything equal, it's not that simple. Look, now you got this book, Native Son. You know, what happened to the other books in the course? They're not any good anymore because Mr. Two PhD says they aren't? <laughs> huh? I mean, you got to trade in great books for black books. Does that make sense? Huh? You got to question these things, Dare. You got to look at the whole picture. You know, we're talking about books here, but I'm also talking about my job. I got two black guys on my squad now who got their job over a couple of white guys who actually scored higher in the test. 
Does that make sense? So in that scene, obviously, you have someone in Derek's life who he really respects. And, um, you know, his father, he really looks up to in the same way that Danny really looks looks up to Derek. I, I feel like in some ways, Derek is always looking for that father figure. Um, after his father, it may be Cameron. You know, he was listening to his rhetoric and trying to, to uh, make him proud. And there's obviously that scene in the prison where Sweeney really connects with him. And there's that tipping point there. Maybe that's the point where Derek sees Sweeney as that father figure. I don't know. I, I just I just thought of that kind of parallel there. No, I, I think you're right. And because I think, yeah, you know, because again, to come back to the, the point about trust, you know, Derek clearly trusts his father, as most people would innately trust their own father. And his father kind of expresses those types of views that I would probably there be, you know, mirrored slightly, you know, to a lesser degree than what Cameron talks about. But if he then goes to, if he then becomes exposed to Cameron's viewpoints after his father's killed, that's just going to, that's just going to fuel the flames of, of that sort of small seed that his father will have planted in his, in that conversation we've just heard. So yeah, it's about, um, I think you're right, there, w- there will be some kind of, in Derek's journey, there will be like this figure of authority, like a father figure that he has been led by. And when his own father's taken from him, it's replaced by Cameron, this incredibly dangerous man who who plants these ideas in his head and gets him to do all these things and and twist his beliefs when actually the father figure he kind of needs is is Sweeney and obviously what we you know to come back to the ending of the film Danny is much younger than Derek and quite early on in the film you can see that maybe Sweeney's starting to get through to him and the hope therefore is that Danny is going to focus on you know this other viewpoint than Derek was exposed to and he's going to listen to Sweeney more but obviously doesn't get the chance to um, which is, a, you know, a hugely tragic end to the film. And it's really affected. But yeah, I think having that, again, a bit like you have these, you probably have these events or things that happen to you that trigger certain things in you, these certain beliefs in, in, in you, there probably is a seed there that's come from somewhere, from someone you trust, from someone you respect. Um, yeah, so that, I think that scene is, that scene is, you know, that scene at the dinner table with his father, combined with the scene we heard from earlier in the film with the news report after his father's been murdered, those two things te- kind of tell us how Derek started on this on this journey, right? Absolutely. And I think that the journey is, uh, well, I guess the point is further intensified because then there's something that, that's kind of missing in all of us, like the sense of belonging. And I think this is really important when you think about these echo chambers. It's like, it's not, it's not just a case of like you having beliefs and you thinking you're right. It's it's the fact that other people are kind of surrounding you, acknowledging your your thoughts and acknowledging your your ideas, and you get a sense of belonging, safety, like even purpose. And the purpose thing is, is a scary thing because that that creates real extremists when they they see this is their purpose. Um, to destroy maybe another race or another um, people from uh, a different viewpoint. And it was really interesting. I was I was doing kind of some research about this and um, this idea of conformity. And I was listening to um, Jordan Peterson. He was talking about Nazis, about the, the fact that when we think about Nazis, um, like real Nazis, like, you know, German <laughs> German Nazis back in the day, because obviously you had a whole country that turned into an echo chamber. 
Um, it wasn't just a, a small group of people. This was a whole country. And you, and you think to yourself, God, Germans must be awful. But it's not true at all. You know, like I've met many Germans, lovely people. So how, how does this happen? How did um, Hitler, for example, sway a whole nation to believing and doing terrible things? And um, there was some a study that was done called the, the S study, which was a lab experiment to study conformity. So they basically got 50 male students from Swarthmore College in the US of A, and they participated in a vision test. So this was basically a line judgment task. So Ash put a native participant in a room with seven confederates or stooges. So the stooges would basically be in on the experiment with the one person being tested. Each person in the room had to stay allowed which comparison line, A, B, or C, was most like the target line. The answer was always obvious, like really obvious. The real participant sat on the end of the row and gave his or her answer last. So all the stooges would give their answers. And basically what they found out was over the 12 critical trials, about 75% of the participants conformed at least once and 25% of participants never conformed. Apparently in the control group, there was no stooges. They would give like an honest answer. Only 1% would give a wrong answer. So 75% of people were swayed by what other people said, even though it clearly was a different line length. So imagine this is in real life. Imagine we we all have our biases and people are giving facts. There's a, there's a group of people who are giving facts or opinions. And these are actually um, facts and opinions that work to prop up or um, work to kind of stroke our um, our egos or our position in life. I mean, how intoxicating that would be, you know, um, to believe that you are the master race. Are you going to turn your back on that? And as as Peterson says, like in, in Nazi Germany, you think that you would be the, um, you know, the one percent who would say, no, this is not for me. I'm getting out of the country. I'm going to protest about against this. The reality is you'd probably be in the 99 percent. You would be the Nazi. And that's that's something that's really scary. And I think is the main um, thing that we should be bringing away from this this talk is where we all have the potential to be that person. And that's why we really need to check our biases and check our um, um, our facts, not just go along with what is convenient and what is what feels easy and right almost. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a really fascinating thing. Actually, that you know, imagine you're right. Put put yourself put yourself in the position of of an average German in in those in those in those times, and and imagine yourself going against more or less the entire population. It'd be a very hard thing to do. So yeah, I think that's a really fascinating study and some really important things in there. But yeah, I think you know you're right. It is it is just about making sure you keep an open mind and try and educate yourself to different viewpoints and and make sure you 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 kind of look for good information make sure you can kind of trust the information it comes from and if if someone if someone's viewpoint differs from your own doesn't mean it's wrong just means it's different uh, and it you know every, every kind of opinion should be should be given its um its due credit obviously a bit of context saying you know 
as long as you know nothing dangerous nothing you know super extreme and stuff but i think what you said about there about it you know to come back to the tribal thing and, and what you said about being feeling safe and being part of the group there's another interesting um particularly and this is particularly relevant to sort of like the social media age that we're in now one less serious should we say kind of form an effort of an echo chamber now that i i think is quite interesting is football fan culture <laughs> so um particularly in the uk now I'd, obviously i'm not exposed to to sport fan culture in other in, a, in other in other nations because i i live in the uk i i am a football supporter and i i sort of like soccer 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 i don't think we've got any american listeners everyone knows what football is <laughs> um, but, but yeah so basically um as you as you know i'm an arsenal fan you're a manchester united fan we've talked about football over the years but what's interesting now is that football fan culture obviously back in like the 70s and 80s there was a very dangerous football fan culture with you know different firms and stuff and there was a lot of violence and racism in in, in football and I'm, i don't want to refer to that because that was kind of a different time and, I, and i'd like to think well hopefully a lot of things have moved on now but i'm talking about the online space really because you get kind of i i use i use social media Twitter, for example, I, I kind of use Twitter really for my kind of like football news and information and stuff like that. And it's it's interesting to see. I tend not to take part in like debates and discussions and stuff. I just kind of use it to get information. But you can see how easily these little tribes can form, but not even just rival teams, but rival tribes within the same group of supporters. And it and you and you see these really aggressive, hateful interactions. And obviously there's a huge issue with um race, racial abuse through social media in, in football. And again, that's a whole different kind of topic which I don't think we're best place to talk about. But it's the idea that even within so I'm I as I said, I'm an Arsenal fan, even within a wider group of Arsenal fans, there will be small tribes that have differing viewpoints that quite aggressively argue and try, you know, fight against each other because of what they believe is right. And again, I think there's just this this silly little thing where you just support a football team, but it can have such a big impact on kind of the way that you interact with people because of because of the side of the fence that you sit on. And it's just it's again, it's something that and it's something that comes to mind thinking about the you know that kind of the online discourse and how how if you get a lot of your information from consistent online sources, it's very easy to slip into one of those little bubbles where you just feel safe and comfortable because people agree with you and you feel part of part of the group sort of thing. But it's it's again, it's just a little another small example of something where you can see these quite vicious arguments just because people believe two different sets of information. It's crazy. It is crazy, but I think it speaks to the fact that if if you think about like Twitter and and these devices it's like it gives people that kind of megaphone um that they've wanted all their lives you know you're talking about in the 70s and stuff people wouldn't have that ability to speak about these things but you can imagine again how intoxicating the power would be of tweeting something and it getting so many responses and it's interesting so back to the film the stacy which is which is Derek's girlfriend, and she, she when she when she's speaking to him, he he basically says, you know, I've changed. Um, I'm, um, you know, would you kind of come away with me? And she's like, no, but you don't understand. Like, um, you know, we're so much bigger now. We're so much more organized. Before it was just like small school, and you can see like the power hungry look she has in her eyes. The fact that she has Derek, and Derek's this powerful, important figure in this organization. And how she will, in turn, have this mouthpiece through him. People get addicted to this idea of power and influence. It, and it's really scary. 
Yeah, and I think um, I think you're right because obviously that that then just that's that scene is is he immediately then goes to talk to Cameron and Cameron specifically says, doesn't he? You can you can be our leader. You can be people will follow you, and uh, and it obviously you put yourself in Derek's shoes. It takes so much willpower and it and it's taken such a traumatic event for him to actually be offered that and turn it down and say no I don't want that I don't believe it anymore so yeah this idea of kind of people lifting you up because if you are if you have an opinion let's say and you want to put something out online like you said if it gets thousands hundreds of thousands millions of likes retweets and stuff and you, you your influence grows it must be quite an addictive thing so yeah I think that's you're right that's that's a really telling scene you know like you said you, you can see the the hunger and the excitement in Stacey's eyes when she's talking about how big they can become. And Derek's just like, you know, he's he's having to fight against that. And all these people around him wanting to be this leader and be this influencer and have this power. And he's kind of trying to get away from it. It is, it is a scary thing. It must be, you know, I, I've never been, I've never been in a position where I could have that much influence over a huge group of people no one cares nick no no one cares no one cares and i'm quite happy with that because it means it means i can quite happily go and look for different information and kind of educate myself as best i as best i can but yeah i I can imagine it must it must be like to go back to your point earlier to feed the ego Mm. it must be quite a dangerous line to walk if you if you if so if something is feeding your ego and making you feel more and more confident and powerful and stuff but yeah it's it's a very scary path that people can go on and that's why i think it's um to bring it back to the whole point of this thing this film represents quite in obviously a very extreme way but how easily things can spiral out of control and become quite dangerous and can lead to quite so i guess from a personal point of view i've i've been very lucky to have lived in another country so obviously i moved from the uk to new zealand and even though we both I guess, are under the crown. Living here is a little bit different. Um, And then I was lucky to travel the world. So I've lived in Mexico, Japan, like in Thailand. And I've been exposed to all these different ways of living, different ways of thinking. And it's, it's, it's really interesting because like you can have the same conversation around the world and people will have different points of view. And I can't say that I can necessarily argue against what they're saying because what they're saying comes from a different um, culture backgrounds way of life what it does is it's, it's extremely freeing i think you're you're no longer trying to be right about something you're you're giving into the fact that maybe you don't know as much as you thought you did and maybe there are better ideas out there you become more of a listener um, than a than a talker and this like I, I think um, the real hero of the film is is Bob Sweeney, um, Doctor Sweeney. There's that that moment in the hospital. There's there's two moments actually. There's two moments. There's there's one moment where he he's having um, a talk with the other teacher Murray, and Murray's ready to give up on Danny, and um, and Sweeney's like, no, I'm not. I'm not ready to give up on this child yet. There's the second moment in the film where Sweeney is sitting with Derek after um, he's been sexually abused. And we'll, we'll, we'll play that, that scene here if that's okay. Because I think it's really, really important. Right now your anger is consuming you. Your, your, your anger is shutting down the brain God gave you. God, 
you know, man, you've been talking about what's going on in me since I was in high school. How the fuck do you know so much about what's going on inside me? No, I know about me. I know about this place. I know about the place you are in. What do you, what do you know about the place I'm in? There was a moment when I used to blame everything and everyone for all the pain and suffering and vile things that happened to me that I saw happen to my people. Blame everybody, blame white people, blame society, blame God. I didn't get no answers because I was asking the wrong questions. You have to ask the right question. Like what? Has anything you've done made your life better? Has anything you've done made your life better? And I, I think that really, for me, I was watching it the second time and that was the line. Because would you rather be right or would you rather have a good life? Would you rather be right and have your family with you? Would you rather be right and live a, like a loving, empathetic life? Like, I know what I would rather choose. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think you're right. I'm with you on that. That scene is is so powerful and so impactful. And I think, again, to come back to the way that is shot, the close-ups, the performances, you can see that there's that moment where Sweeney asked that question and Derek just honestly, he just sort of shakes his head and you can see in his face, he kind of has a little, that moment of realisation where he thinks, do you know what? No, I, nothing I've done to make my life better. And I think, you know, again, to, to bring this back to the fact that this is a very extreme example in this film, we're talking about a guy who's kind of part of a white supremacist neo-Nazi organisation. The, you know, the majority of people aren't going to have anything that extreme. But again, thinking about opening yourself up to those different viewpoints, differing interpretations of things, different information to allow yourself to give yourself the best chance to make the right decisions for you, to make yourself, to make your life better. And I think you, it was interesting how, you know, you said that you've kind of lived in various different cultures around the world. You've spent was it you spent two or three years basically just kind of moving from place to place and traveling around a lot was it that long yeah like four yeah yeah wow and i think you know obviously i've i've known you for how long have we known each other now 15 16 years yeah something like that and i think you know we've we've always been really good friends but i think even you know just from having seen from knowing you having from when you lived in the uk to when you decide to move to New Zealand and then since then you travel, I can just from just from talking to you, I can see how you've kind of got so much more information and you kind of learn so much more about different cultures and beliefs and stuff than I, than I believe. And it's fascinating talking to you about these things because I think in previous episodes you've brought up like Buddhist stuff that you've kind of learned from your time in Japan and things. I think it's really, it's really interesting for me to see to talk to you, someone who's lived in different cultures, because it kind of does open your eyes a bit, doesn't it? And I think it's a really, you know, so to come back to the whole point of this is echo chambers can have consequences in some instances, very dire. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a sad, it's a, it's a real, really upsetting fact that all around the world, there is still this like gang, violent culture that people will get drawn into when they're young. But for the most part, particularly the people that are listening to this, it's not going to be that extreme. But even so, there are still things that can happen if you don't, allow yourself to be exposed to the right information to the right experts to the right opinions and stuff and allow yourself to be educated and just have just have a bit of an open mind and i think it's like we said earlier you can have your beliefs we all have our biases they will they will probably 
remain for most of your life. But if you can just allow yourself to seek out differing viewpoints, just to understand where the people come from, it just gives you that bit more of an empathetic approach to how you view things. And I think, again, you know, the film does a great job of showing that. And I think it is by the by the end of the film, we've seen the journey that Derek's gone through. We can start to see that Danny is kind of starting to open his mind up a little bit through the influence of Derek and the influence of Sweeney. But unfortunately for him, it's too late. And that final scene is is heartbreaking. It, it, it's it's really, really sad. And you can see, you know, when Ed Norton comes in, when da- when Derek comes into the to the bathroom that, that Danny's been shot in, and he just breaks down. So I think it's just um a really important message that that you have to allow yourself to be open to these different things and and particularly when it comes to like you said, these cycles of hate and aggression and viciousness and this kind of stuff. And I think there's a really good little voiceover from Danny at the end of the film when he kind of talks about his essay, which we'll maybe just play here because I think it sums it up quite, quite nicely. So I guess this is where I tell you what I learned. My conclusion, right? Well, my conclusion is hate is baggage. Life's too short to be pissed off all the time. It's just not worth it. Derek says it's always good to end a paper with a quote. He says someone else has already said it best, so if you can't top it, steal from them and go out strong. So I picked a guy I thought you'd like. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strength, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic chords of memory will swell when again touched, as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. Yeah, and it's, um, I agree with um, with Danny there, the best way to end um, an essay is, is in fact a, a quote, and I've got a really good one here. It's been really nice talking about this because it's kind of made me excited to maybe have these conversations with other people and kind of broaden my understanding of of not just race, but all different types of things. But I've got this one quote and I think it really sums it up nicely. So it says, opinion is really the lowest form of human knowledge. It requires no accountability, no understanding. The highest form of knowledge is empathy, for it requires us to suspend our egos and live in another's world. It requires profound purpose, larger than the self-kind of understanding. That was by Bill Bullard. So that's that's me. <laughs> I think this has been actually a really good um, episode, Nick. I was a bit worried about um, these themes, talking about them, because I, I, I realised that we're two white males and people could maybe like construe this as us kind of mansplaining or um like issues that we don't really understand but i think we're kind of accepting of ourselves the fact that we we need to be doing this and we need to be having these conversations and we need to be learning about other cultures and and people yeah I th- that's that was a great quote to to finish on as well i think that's that's really that's really good i've not heard that before but yeah i think um i i was a bit apprehensive about this episode as well and maybe towards the start Maybe we didn't settle into our rhythm as quickly as we would have done. But yeah, it is, you know, like you said, we're both two white males uh, from a similar kind of background. And I think, again, to to kind of just reinforce the fact that we're not talking about the race issue that, that American History X 
covers in the film in terms of its subject matter but we're just kind of it's nice for us to just talk about what we can learn from it in the sense of the wider world you know broaden your horizons listen to other listen to other people educate yourself with as much information as you can get because that gives you the best chance of of kind of getting to that point of empathy and you know like you said listen to people's stories you know that's how you learn from people um so yeah it has been i've, I've enjoyed it um it's been really really good and i suppose that that that's us for today um but we will as we always do um we'll introduce what our next episode is going to be about so do you want to go for that or should i do it i think you need to do it because i don't actually know what it's about i know the film <laughs> but i'm not sure about the lesson okay right well this is a film which I think was pretty well received when it came out. And I think, but I also think it's not quite as loved now as it once was. But I haven't watched it for quite a long time. I've always liked it. So our next film we're going to discuss is, is Zach Braff's 2004 film Garden State, which was his directorial debut. Um, he wrote it, directed it, starred in it. And the lesson from it is that really Garden State just kind of shows us that it's okay not to know your path if that makes sense to not have everything planned out for you and to perhaps it's okay to kind of just see where life takes you sometimes well that's great because honestly i'm 36 and i still don't know where i'm going in life so really looking forward to talking about this next week nick cool good stuff um so yeah we'll uh, well that's what we'll be discussing next time and as we always say if you we would very much appreciate well first of all we a big thank you to anyone who has listened rated subscribe etc so far we realize everyone's got busy lives we can't thank you enough for taking time out to listen to us talk so and again if you we very much appreciate any 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 people that subscribe to the podcast rate review follow us on the socials all that kind of stuff and uh, thank you for listening and we will see you next time see you next bye bye